Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 326 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Kitchen Remedy, an interview with Diana Brescia. My name is Daisy White. And I'm Richard Johannesson. Rich, I really loved this episode and I really enjoyed the podcast and doing it together. And one of my takeaways from this was that Diana got a diagnosis of bad luck. And in spite of this diagnosis, she was jovial and loving towards her doctor who kept her on a medication for seven years without a diagnosis of Lyme disease. You know, Daisy, I really enjoyed uh, this woman's spirit as well. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about her is that she was successful in ultimately getting a diagnosis after she turned to the Lyme disease community, connected with actually one of our former guests, Michaela Hu. And because she was told she sounded Lyme, she went to a wonderful West Coast doctor and was able to get a proper diagnosis where she's now going forward with on her healing journey. Yes. And and the other thing that I just loved about her was her relationship to food, you know, her lush history and roots with Italian culture and Italian food and how it nurtured her in her childhood and all through her life. And then when she understood what was really going on with her, how she turned it around and really familiarized herself further with food and its healing and the remedies that she could get from the nurturing of the food and how she's now turned it around to be a contribution to other Lyme patients in the Lyme community. So Daisy, and again, we really thank you for taking time to join us as a co-host on this podcast. And folks, without further ado, we're really excited to introduce to you the Kitchen Remedy. Hey, Diana Brescian, welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. And we are really excited to be here with you today, too. But I also have a really special note for our listeners. The Lime Coach to the Stars, Daisy White, who was profiled in episode 80 of our podcast, is also going to be co-hosting with me today. So you are very lucky, Diana, and so are all of our listeners because we have Daisy Wright with us today. Daisy, say hi to the folks. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. We're hi, really Daisy. It is, it is really cool that we have you two together, and it is just really cool that uh, we're going to have um, a really cool show, and we're going to go where the spirit takes us. So before we do that, Diana, let's build out um, Diana, and uh, let's introduce you to the folks. So First of all, Diane, I understand that you are a native New Yorker despite living on the West Coast. I am a proud native New Yorker, and I am now living in the City of Angels. All right. So talk to us about what it was like to grow up uh, in New York. I understand you're from Westchester County. So for the folks who are not aware of New York's geography, you are in one of the northern suburbs north of New York City. Yes, I am. So I wasn't too far away from you, Rich, in Long Island. My first boyfriend was from Valley Stream, actually. So um, yeah, so I love Long Island. But yes, Westchester County in New Rochelle, New York. That's where I was born. All right. So what was it like growing up in New Rochelle? I mean, what was the educational system like? And what kinds of things were you doing, you know, to occupy your time and pursue your dreams? So Nourishal is definitely interesting place. Uh, it is, it's really, it is really nice. I went to elementary school there, middle school there, high school there. Um, it's pretty diverse. Um, but where I live, it's right by, I don't know if you're familiar, but um, Pelham Manor. So, you know, right over there, Larchmont, that kind of area. So it was really, really nice. Uh, as a child, I 
was really active. I would say outside. I always would love to play outside with my neighbors. Um, I, I do remember things being really difficult for me when I was younger. I, I don't know why. Um, with school, like I was good with reading and science. However, um, like math was horrible for me. I am afraid of numbers, like stay away from them, run away from them. Um, so I was, I was active. I was a cheerleader when I was in elementary school, middle school. I, I loved to do, I was always really creative. Um, so I, I was always doing something. I come from a big Italian family also. So lot, lots of pizza, lots of pasta. Um, yeah, my, my entire, actually, my parents actually came from Italy um, back in the day. Um, but they uh, moved to Brooklyn, then Westchester. So I'm first generation. And uh, yeah, just big Italian family, um, super strict. <laughs> All right. So now, so you're coming from this close knit Italian family living in uh, Westchester County. And what is it that you were dreaming about? What were your goals? I mean, what kinds of things were you starting to believe uh, you would like to do as you were growing up? Yeah. So, you know, um, I guess when I was young, I was slowly just going with the motions to just be honest with you. I, it wasn't until I was at a, uh, probably in my twenties when I had a lot of things, um, a lot of clarity, if you will. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really know when I was young, what I really wanted to do. Uh, you know, we were just doing, you know, normal things, other families would do like, you know, we would go away, spend the summers like at the beach club, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until later on in my life where I kind of figured out what I wanted to do, how I wanted to be different. I think that I realized I was different though, probably a little bit younger in my teens. I didn't want to do typical things people were doing in Westchester. I, I always had a really um, big appetite for life. And I felt like I wanted to just do something entirely different. Um, and I always had that in the back of my mind, but I never executed it for some reason. And I think it was later on and you know, you'll learn during this podcast, uh, a lot of things happened to me later on, which ended basically put the puzzle pieces together to kind of where I am today. And we'll talk about the beautiful elements of Lyme and how in so many cases, it does allow people to put the pieces together to figure out who they are and what their purpose is. But let's talk a little bit more in detail, right? So um let's so build out what kinds of things that were going on in your family i'm assuming because you're from this traditional italian family and you had all of these um you know traditional uh, experiences that food was a big part of your life and family was a big part of your life and a lot of those kinds of experiences and tell us what that was teaching you about yourself when you were having um all of these experiences that we traditionally see in our close-knit italian families yeah yeah so i love to cook. I think I was cooking literally outside my mom's womb. It's just something that I would do. Um, I was always in the kitchen. I could, you know, vividly remember like making eggs for myself at like seven, six years old. I just, there was something about cooking that I loved. Um, I 
didn't know at the time, you know, how it was going to lead me to where I, I am today. However, it was a therapy for me, for sure. And I would always resort going back to the kitchen, no matter what good or bad scenario. Uh, yeah. So I would, I love to cook for sure. Talk, talk about, talk a little bit more about cooking and food and what role that plays in your Italian family, right? So I, you know, I've shared with you earlier that I'm also Italian American and yeah. my grandparents immigrated from, from Italy and, um, and, you know, food was at the very center of our lives. Food was at the very center of everything we did together. So more than just having the ability to cook for yourself and having a love for cooking for yourself, talk about how that was a very important part of your culture and your family and, and your identity. Yeah. So it pretty, it really was pretty much, you know, associated with my identity. Uh, we would have family gatherings, parties. We were very fam family oriented when I was younger. You know, we had cousins, we had, uh, my mom had two brothers. My dad comes from a family of five. So it was very family oriented when I was younger. Uh, and, you know, we would celebrate, you know, we would come together for good times with food, bad times in food with food, I should say. And we did have um, a big unity around food with celebration and, you know, even things that weren't so good, to be honest. So food was always a an element of, of your culture. It was a way that you comforted one another. It was a way you celebrated one another. And it was it was just sort of a, a, a an elixir that that smooth over any kind of challenge or any celebration that you have pretty much yes and you enjoyed being a part of creating that environment by contributing yeah. as a as a little mini chef as young as seven and continue to do that during most of your life exactly exactly all right so let, let me ask you another part of your childhood experience you were grow you grew up in the line belt right uh you spent a lot of time on long island which is certainly at the very heart of the line belt right now as part of your either your 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 cultural experience or as part of your educational experience as a student did you learn anything about how to protect yourself from ticks and tick diseases yeah good question uh no <laughs> So I think, and this is, seems to be a common trend, uh, you know, we, we know the, the basics, you know, we live, we live on the East Coast, we're New Yorkers, you know, be careful with the ticks, you know, like, to, to, you know, checking us every five minutes, but we don't really know the really in-depth details of Lyme and what a tick could actually do. So when I was younger, I, you know, it's so strange. I remember like my friends or my neighbors, their dogs would come in with ticks. And like, I, I remember actually seeing ticks on the dog. Um, and our parents just like, oh, be careful, check them for ticks, spray them, you know, with bug spray for the mosquitoes. But no, I mean, yes, we all knew that ticks could give, you know, give you Lyme disease, but we didn't know, um, you know, the, the mega details associated with ticks and uh, you know, all that, all that stuff. No, we had then, no idea. Give me a little more detail. So you, you, you were tick aware, you saw them on dogs, you were Lyme aware, you knew that there was this disease that you could get, but were you really taking any specific tick uh, steps to avoid coming in contact with ticks? And were you taking any regular and consistent steps to check yourself to find out whether or not you had any ticks on your person? 
to be honest, no, just the basics. You know, if I, I remember specifically in the summer because we were outside more as kids, I remember my mom maybe checking us, but not to the extent of like, you know, let's vacuum the house 17 times a day, you know, let's uh, check our dogs. And we, I grew up with dogs. Um, we had two family dogs, uh, but no, just we were really naive for sure. Okay. So let's, everyone knows that you're on this podcast because you have Lyme disease. Uh, and, yeah. and Lyme disease is something that we generally uh, generally don't connect to a tick bite. Uh, but let's talk about that first. Do you ever recall being bitten by a tick? And do you recall having to remove an engouged tick off of your body? No, I've never seen a tick on me. Uh, when I was younger, never seen a tick on me, never had the bullseye rash. And I have neurological Lyme disease. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about when you first became symptomatic, right? When did you first start to get sick? And what were those early symptoms even before you knew you had Lyme disease? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that was, okay. So just to give you a little, a little backstory about going back to when I was younger, I always felt like I also was in like a fight or flight scenario when I was younger, which putting the puzzle pieces together now, I think all kind of, you know, makes sense to, you know, and also I was born two weeks early. I was four pounds at birth. I was a C-section. I literally was born in stress, like literally born in stress. Um, and you know, loud Italian households, that's all I'm going to say. Um, anyhow, you know, so yeah, kind of stressed as a kid, kind of lost, if you will, the black sheep. And then it wasn't until I hit my twenties where things were really really coming together and also I think transpiring regarding my illness. So at 25, I got, this is when the whole experience started to happen. I was 25 years old, still living in New York at the time. I was working in Greenwich, Connecticut at a wellness cafe. I was always into health I, like I said, I love to cook. I knew it was going to be part of my life. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. I was in Greenwich. Uh, it was like a wellness cafe. And one day I was working and I just couldn't see out of my eyes. It was going blurry. And I remember getting freaked out for a minute, but then it like went back and I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I just had something weird happen for a second. And, uh, so yeah, I was 25 when the things started happening and pretty much I couldn't see there was blurred vision. And also I can't really even articulate what was happening to me exactly because it was so, so bizarre that my vision was not only blurry, but I explain it. I, when I tell people my story, I explain it that it's kind of like when you turn on a television and you don't have a channel and it's static, that was actually that, you know, that static noise and everything between the black and white, that was actually happening to me. So the blurred vision happened, didn't think anything of it. And then the other weird stuff started happening to me. Um, 
And it was that morning when I woke up and I saw what I just explained, which totally freaked me out. And I was like, okay, what the hell's going on here? And I, you know, like I said, always in tune with my health, always, always was like a health advocate even before this, but I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I, I didn't know what was going on with me. So it freaks me out. I remember, um, you know, at this point in my life, I was 25. I was so lost with my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be. I was just, I didn't finish college because there was a lot of things going on with my family and I had to step up to the plate. So I was working two jobs and I was highly, highly stressed. I was in a a toxic relationship with this man that will remain nameless because it was just so highly toxic. It was just not, you know, not abusive or anything, just verbally toxic and just not a good human. And I think to be quite frank, what happened when I was 25 was uh, the past history when I was younger, always being confused and things being hard for me, past trauma, and then the immune compromising event, which was when I was 25. And it just was the perfect storm of like, let this girl get the Lyme disease, folks, and all the in-between. All right. So that so you you believe that you were harboring this bacteria and these thick diseases in your body. You were a healthy young person and you're able to manage it. You find yourself in the middle of a toxic relationship and you find yourself in a very difficult time with your family and the combination of all of these events make you vulnerable, make you immunocompromised. And now this disease takes off. So tell us how the symptoms take off. Sure. And just to clarify, not toxic with my family. My family is great. It's just a lot's going on. I was like the black sheep, totally confused with my life. But anyway, so when I was 25, um, it first happened with that experience with my eyes and I went not knowing what I didn't know. And, and I should mention that I'm highly intuitive, highly spiritual person. And I kid you not, I was literally getting signs to go to the doctor before this all transpired. I mean, crazy story, crazy stories. Well, give, give us, give us some detail here. So, okay. so you're, so, so, you're, so your, 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 your body is signaling to you that you should go to the doctor before you have any symptoms. My body's signaling to me. I'm getting literally signs. I'm hearing things. When I was driving my car to work before that weird thing happened that night, I was like, okay, I got to go to the doctor. I literally turned on my, my uh, radio in my car, I remember. And there was an ad that said, have you got your eyes checked today? And I was like, that's really weird. What kind of ad is this? And like, it was weird because I was having that blurred thing at the time when I was working and I just, something in me knew before it was going to happen that something was wrong with my eyes. So it was a random Tuesday afternoon, March, 2014. My whole life changed. I went to, so I woke up, you know, I had that weird moment when I was working and then I woke up and I was like, oh no, something's not right. I have to, I have to go to the doctor. So not knowing what I know, I was working in Greenwich at the time and I like Googled, you know, uh, 
eye doctor, just your standard eye doctor that sells sunglasses and glasses on the avenue over there in Greenwich. So I went in because I'm like, what the hell? I don't know what, maybe I need glasses. Maybe, you know, my parents have glasses. I don't know. So I go in and it was just like a standard, I don't, you know, standard doctor um, that prescribes just like lenses and stuff like that. And she gives me a proper exam and she's like, huh. And she's like, just looks like she's very concerned. So I'm like, is everything okay? You know, do I need glasses? What kind of style can I get? Like, I'm already thinking like what I'm going to get, you know, like, and she goes, no, no. Um, who's your primary care physician? And I was like, why do you want to know that? And she goes, because I want to speak to them. She goes, have you traveled? And I said, no. I said, and she goes, anything else you're experiencing? I go, no, just my vision. So she goes, okay, uh, we're going to call her. Uh, I, I'm picking up um, really bad optic nerve swelling. And I said, okay, what's that? And I was so, so naive. I had no idea. She goes, oh, I'm just really concerned. Like she was trying not to alarm me, but I already picked up that there was something seriously wrong. So I remember leaving. I go back to my house. I was living with my parents. And I said, mom, you know, I just went to the doctor and I didn't tell anyone what was happening because I don't know, which is so unlike me, to be honest. I think I was just in fight or flight during that period of my life that I just didn't think to tell someone what was kind of happening. But looking back, there was some things and I'll mention that later. So I go home and I'm like, mom, this lady just kind of scared me. She said I had like mega inflammation of my optic nerve and she looked really concerned and what do we do? So my mom's like, and by the way, I I'm like the queen of anxiety. I definitely overcame it through this whole thing. But of course, you know, like back then I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm Italian. I'm always anxious, you know? Um, so I go to my mom. She's like, you know what, Diana, let's take you to my eye doctor. I was like, okay. So she takes me to an ophthalmologist proper eye doctor. And it was this Russian lady. I'll never forget it. And she just looked so concerned. They didn't proper eye scan. And she's like, we have to take her to the hospital. Now this was all happening so fast that I couldn't understand process. I'm trying to keep it together for my mother because I don't want her to get, I have a nervous breakdown. So I'm trying to keep it together for her, but I'm nervous because they, we didn't even understand what they were saying. Why are you so concerned? Well, we'll tell you why. She goes, what hospital do you, do you want to go to? We're going to schedule her for an emergency MRI. I think she may have a brain tumor. Now, what they were picking up was mega swelling and brain inflammation in my eyes from an eye scan. So now I'm like, okay, this is getting weird. What the hell happened here? I was just at work. It's a Tuesday afternoon. What the hell is going on? So my mom calls my dad. She's like, Tony, you need to come home. You know, 
Diana, there's something wrong with Diana. I don't know what's going on. We, we don't know what's going on. And you have to come home from work. So he comes home and uh, he rushes home. I'm like, take me to Greenwich Hospital, please. Take me to Greenwich Hospital. Don't take me anywhere else. Just take me to, take me to you know, a good hospital. Because, you know, I'm not knocking like Westchester County or anything, but Greenwich Hospital is, is better. So they take me to Greenwich and I remember just like shaking like a leaf. Like I was like shaking, trembling. I didn't know what the hell was going on. So they admit me, they admit me. And they're like, we're going to give you an emergency MRI with contrast. So, and my, and, and you know, while this was happening, they were explaining what the severity of what it could be because of what they were picking up on the, on the scan. So I remember going in the scan in the MRI and I was just like praying the whole time I was talking to my angels. I was talking to God. I said, don't even make me get better for me. Make me get better for my family because they're going to lose it. They're going to lose it. So I'm like praying all this stuff. It was a really long MRI, like, or maybe at the time it just felt really long, but I remember praying the whole time. I get out and the emergency room doctor, I don't remember her name, but I remember her face. She put me back in the room with my parents and she said, give me, give me 10 minutes. So I turned, and and by the way, my sister was pregnant and living in LA at the time with my brother-in-law. So now we don't want to startle my sister who I'm extremely close to and God forbid, have her go into an early pregnancy or something. So like, we're all keeping this to ourselves, but I remember actually texting my aunt who I'm really close to too. And, uh, my uncle worked for Dr. Oz at the time. (laughs) He was an executive producer. Well, they both did actually, no, I think he just did, but anyway. And I'm like, Hey, we may need Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz's advice, like just so you know, whatever. And, um, so Anyway, so the doctor's like, give you, t- give me 10 minutes. And I turned to my mom and I said, that's a great sign. And she's like, what do you mean? I go, well, if it was urgent, she'd be right. She wouldn't say, give me 10 minutes. Like it's, she said, give me 10 minutes. So she comes back in and she's like, thank you so much for giving me great news today, tonight. You don't have a brain tumor, but we don't know what the hell's wrong with you. So you need tomorrow, you can go home. We don't know why you're experiencing this, this eye problem. They diagnosed me at the time with, uh, uh, you know, emergency room diagnosis, um, photophobia, something with the eyes. She goes, but we need to send you to a neuro ophthalmologist. And I said, okay, go home. And I'm really just like a big researcher. I'm my own advocate. I'm a super nerd. I'll research for hours without going to bed. All right, so pause there for a second, Diane. Before we go into nerdy Diana and her research, let's talk <laughs> about the doctors and the interaction that you were having with your doctors, right? So your doctor is saying, this is great news. You, you do not have a brain tumor. We all thought you had a brain tumor. That's why everybody's rushing to the hospital and giving you an admission and, 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 and putting you in this in this situation and scaring the hell out of your mother and father. And, you know, it's just a crazy time for you. This crazy Italian family is now spinning around and going crazy, right? So do they say to you, well, you know, you do have inflammation. 
right? And your eyeballs are an extension of your brain. And all this, all this information in your eyes is obviously an extension of your brain. And eyes are very different than any other senses, right? Um, what else could be causing this inflammation? And, you know, is Lyme disease, you're in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Lyme disease, perhaps the reason you have this disease, anybody say to you, we need to test you for Lyme, we, anything? Zitch, nothing. But what they, they didn't even test my blood at the emergency room. They just were so high, I guess, because of the severity of the swelling, who knows what else. They just gave me the MRI and just gave me a temporary diagnosis and literally told me I could go. I guess that they were just, they wanted to make sure I didn't have a tumor. Right, but so, no ruled, so once they ruled out the tumor, you were on your way. I was on my way. All right. So what happened next? So I went home. Clearly, I couldn't sleep because I'm like, what the hell's going on with me? And I started researching. I literally went to Google because why not? <laughs> and I inputted, I think I put like best neuro ophthalmologist, United States, something like that or something like that. And my amazing, lovely God sent doctor, Dr. Jeffrey O'Dell at New York Presbyterian, if anyone needs a neuro ophthalmologist. But so I found him and he was the head of that department, the director, all the things. And I said, this is the guy I want to see. He's number one here in his field. He's world renowned. I'm here in New York. I'm going to go to New York Presbyterian. I'm going to be seen by the top that the top of the top because I don't mess around with my health and I just I'm I just know and it hello it's your eyes this is this is your eyes you know it's not your fingers your toes your smell it's your eyes so I remember I told my mom the emergency room doctor um wanted me to actually go see this just this ophthalmologist in Greenwich who I did go see before I found my doctor and I, there was something like, I went to go see the, that guy and he was great. And I said, you know, there was something intuitively telling me to just not stay at that office. So the following, following day, I went to that Greenwich doctor, uh, the, the, the other ophthalmologist. And I said to the guy, I said to the doctor, I said, you know, um, you know, I just came here because you were referred from the emergency room doctor. I said, but do you know Dr. Jeffrey O'Dell? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's, he's really good. And I actually think you should go there because they didn't understand what was happening to me. So I that literally, I think it was the same day. At this point, now these, this chain of events, everything's happening so quickly. And it's also so hard to digest and understand. You know, you're dealing with a lot of nerves. At this point, my sister knows now what's happening. My aunts, my aunts know, everybody knows. So that's all the Italians, all the Italians are going crazy. <laughs> They're all going crazy, crazy. So that day I called that office in, at New York Presbyterian. And that ophthalmologist said, you know what? You need a neuro ophthalmologist. You don't need just a regular eye doctor. This is something going on here. So I call New York Presbyterian, Jeffrey O'Dell's office, and I remember calling and 
my mother and I, and we're like, Hey, this is going on. Can we come in like today? And she's like, you know, you can, I actually just had a cancellation. Just come in. Where are you coming from? We're like, we're coming from Westchester. And they're like, great. You know, we'll see you in 45 minutes. So I run over there and I immediately knew I was in good hands and I'm going to shed some light on, you know, why I love him so much, even though he wasn't able to tell me what I know now. Uh, so I immediately go there and I see, I don't even know if I should say her name, but a politician uh, come out of the office in hand to hand with him, like holding hands and hugging goodbye. And I was like, okay, I'm in the right spot. There are secret service in the waiting room. I'm like, okay, I'm definitely in the right spot. Wait, wait, wait. you got to tell us who it is. Who is it? It was Hillary Clinton. Wow. He was suffering from that thing at the time. In 2014, I think she fell. So, or something with her eyes. I don't remember exactly, you know. So, yeah, she was walking out. Hillary Clinton walking out with my doctor, Dr. Jeffrey O'Dell. And I was like, okay, this is the man for me. So he looked like Albert Einstein. He, I mean, he looks, he's, you know, still alive and well. And he comes out and he's like, and he's looking at me. He goes, yeah, I was reviewing a a couple of notes. Come into my office. So we immediately hit it off him and I, I think he was so friggin', they were all blown away. I was an alien. They had the, they had the residents come in. I was like a little hamster for them like you know they're like we're, we're hearing all these things what's going on so he was so thorough I walk in you know and he's like we're gonna do our my own MRI we're gonna test you know gathering all the info and this is an old school man old school technique doesn't mess around whatever people from Japan and on go to see him and come to see him I should say so he goes we're gonna give you two more MRIs. We're going to run your blood work for days. And we're also going to test you for Lyme disease. He goes, have you, what have you been doing differently? I said, nothing. I said, I'm working like a, like a crazy person, but nothing really. I mean, my diet is healthy. I I never really ate bad. I mean, it's always healthy. I cook. Uh, I am on Except um, an excessive amount of vitamin D that my now, you know, looking back, it all makes sense that my primary care doctor put me on. It was very excessive because, you know, she said I was very deficient. They didn't know why. So she put me on like 10,000 uh, units, I think twice a day, because that, that's how low I was. That's the only thing I'm saying. I'm not on meds. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. Um, just the vitamin D. And I said, I, I was on birth control though. And I just recently came off. So I don't know if that was it. And he goes, okay, are you using acne medication? No acne medication. Do you live in the woods? I said, no, but I live in Westchester, you know? And he goes, okay, we're going to test you for a Lyme disease. And I said, okay. So he did his own eye scans and an MRI, no brain tumor, MRI with contrast. They literally inject, I, I will never forget this. They injected my eyeballs with a dye, a color, like a, like a, like a contrast. 
And I was seeing pink for five hours because they wanted to see if there was anything going on in the actual eyeball itself. I was a nervous wreck through this whole entire process. I, I don't even know. Like, I just think I was like a zombie and I was just like taking this all in. And my parents were there again, still trying to remain calm for them. And he does all this testing. The MRI comes back. Diana, you don't have a tumor. However, your symptoms are exactly like a brain tumor. And you're now diagnosed, Diana, with idiopathic intracranial hypertension. He goes, but I'm amazed by you because you're 100 pounds. And usually this diagnosis is for morbidly obese people. They all come in from the woodworks the residents examining me, they were, they were blown away because this hundred pound woman walks in with intracranial hypertension and they have no idea why. He goes, but I'm very concerned about your vision and we need to put you on something tonight. I said, okay. He goes, but you will prevail. He says, you will prevail. I said, okay. He puts me wait on. Minute, wait a minute, wait, I have to ask you. What about the Lyme? You're, you're being tested for Lyme oh, disease. Shoot. You got this Lyme going on here. I mean, what's sorry. happening there? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm so, here. So the Lyme comes back negative. Negative, negative, negative. He no says, wait. So let's, let's, let's pause there for a second. So now. Did they tell you what kind of Lyme test they were doing? Did they talk about, did they talk about the limitations with Lyme disease and the high incidence of false positives and false negatives and all these kinds of things? I mean, what information do we have? We're testing for Lyme and what? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Even though he's magnificent, he said no. So they test me for Lyme. It came, it came back negative. It was the standard Western blot. And he said, you know what, Diana, according to the CDC, you don't have Lyme disease, so you don't have it. He goes, but I'll check it again, because there was a red flag. Uh, I think there was one band that was coming up, but it was, it was on, on the, um, like he couldn't, he couldn't officially say I had Lyme disease because of the way it was. According to the CDC, I didn't have Lyme disease because, so he couldn't say I have Lyme. However." there was a red flag where there was a band that came up and he was concerned and he wanted me to do it again. Uh, and I did, they retested me. How long after? They waited, they waited like, they waited like two months and um, they waited like two months and one second. All right, so now, so I'm, so you, you now have this second Lyme disease test. The test comes back, um, uh, comes back negative again, but the doctor is concerned about Lyme disease as a, um, as a diagnosis. So is he, in between the first uh, test for Lyme disease and the second test for Lyme disease, is, um, is this doctor 
treating you prophylactically for Lyme disease? Is he doing anything with, with Lyme or is he just sort of like sitting out there and leaving you with this weird diagnosis of, um, you know, of, of a 400 pound person when you're only hundred pounds and, and just sort of doing nothing. Yep. 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 So good question, Rich. So pretty much he said, so, you know, he tested me again, two months later, came back negative. But during that time, immediately, he put me on something called Diamox. Uh, so to treat the intracranial hypertension. And he said to me, Diana, you got this because of bad luck. All right. So let's, let's. The bad luck diagnosis is always very, yeah. <laughs> so Daisy, I mean, again, please weigh in here because I'm like, you're yeah, no, so, you know, as, as a person who is in my position, you know, I, I, um, obviously as a patient, I have enormous empathy, enormous, um, you know, under and, 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 in my position in chaperoning patients, I, I also have frustration in hearing all of this because I want to move the needle forward for you. But, um, you know, I'm interested in, you know, what, what propelled you to the next place, like where and how you moved forward in this journey where, you know, Dymox, which is actually a very uh, resurgent drug these days for multiple reasons, but um, where, you know, you got another tip on where you might be headed in terms of discovering what dealing with because it sounds like you are being told that you have this acute problem and that there's no cause for this problem you just have bad luck yeah so you know he said to me you know you just got this because of bad luck and to be honest with you that just didn't sit with me it just didn't sit with me well and I am a strong believer like I said I I'm highly, highly intuitive and highly sensitive. And I think I always knew deep down in my gut that there was, there was a reason for all of it. And when he said, even though I have to tell you, he's amazing. And, you know, he is world renowned, like I was telling you, I think that he just couldn't tell me that I had Lyme at the time because of the CDC, you know, standards. And so when he said that I got it because of bad luck, and I have to be honest, when I was on the, the medication, when I was on the medication, before I started the medication, I was really, really, um, I was afraid to take it. Like, what is this going to do to my brain and my eyes, but, or my body. And to be honest, I, didn't have a choice because intracranial hypertension, and I should have said this in the beginning, but it leads to blindness. So my optic nerve was so, so jeopardized that, you know, I had no choice to take it. And I, it didn't sit with me well. So I decided to just be my own advocate to be honest with you, I said to myself, I'm going to take these meds because they're going to save my vision. And he did everything he could possibly do. And by the way, I had to go see him once a month 
that's how severe my vision was compromised. If I would have waited probably another day, I probably, and, and once your vision's gone, there's no getting it back. And if I waited another, and like, I'm not going to lie when they told me this, I was like, Oh, that's it. Like peace out people going to go on the rooftops. Like I was just, all right, well, well, before we get, before we go through the rooftops, let me, let, you know, can, can, can one of you share with our listeners, what is Diamox? Is it a, is it an antibiotic? Is it a steroidal treatment? What is it? And, and, and what was the purpose of the doctor prescribing you the Diamox? Yes. So the Diamox was, it's actually a very old school, a very old school. That's usually for altitude sickness yes it, it, it is it's prescribed for altitude sickness and it's uh, a lot of people take it when they're you know doing hiking and whatnot and um but it's okay don't worry sweetie we you it's part of life you have a pet we all have pets yes we do uh, <laughs> you don't have to hide pet we love your okay. pet okay he's um just beeping away over here with his ball. Um, so yeah, so it's prescribed at either for altitude sickness. It's also a old school blood pressure medicine. So it's also diuretic, right? And he prescribed it to reduce the swelling. Yeah, for edema, it's often, often used for edema. It's also um, used for altitude sickness, epilepsy, um, and glaucoma actually, yeah. so has multiple um, uses. Um, but in in this situation, it was trying to reduce probably the inflammation and the pressure, given that there was probably some fluid retention around this optic nerve. Exactly. So uh, now I I know you love I know you love Dr. Odell, and I don't want to um, I don't want to be critical of someone you have a love for, uh, but you know I, I'm just wondering what the two of you think about why perhaps Dr. Odell, when prescribing the Diamox, wouldn't also prescribe doxycycline, for example, or some other antibiotic at the same time. He had a suspicion of Lyme disease. He had concerns about uh, whether you had Lyme disease when you had your first test. He, you, there was a two-month window between when you had uh, the first Lyme test and when you had the second Lyme test. Why not just prophylactically treat for that as well? Yeah, and I, I said that to him because when he when he was concerned and he sent me again for a second testing for Lyme, he just it could, the markers weren't there for, for him to say, Hey girl, you have Lyme disease, but he was just going by the CDC. And, you know, I, I love him so much for a couple of reasons. And I failed to mention this in the beginning, but he didn't even take my insurance. Like I don't come from a wealthy family. I, at all. And, you know, he didn't take my insurance and he was so kind. And he was actually, I think, really concerned because my vision was so, so, so jeopardized, you know, and when I started taking this medicine, I didn't even want to in the beginning, but there was something, and, you know, I, I did really like him because 
he was a really positive doctor. And I think that words are so powerful, you know, and, you know, there's been studies like when you talk to, I think it's on the internet and there was like a study about like white rice. Like if you talk positive positivity to the white rice, I don't know how true this is or anything like that, but it never like kind of went brown. And then, you know, the other white rice was brown speaking negative things to it. And I think, I don't know if that's true. And, you know, that's silly. However, it was what he said to me that I took with me and I applied it to myself every day. He said to me, you will prevail. And Diana, he sounds like a wonderful man. He does. He, he sounds like he's a very caring man. It, it, it sounds like he wants to treat the, the whole patient. He understands the, important, uh, the importance of belief so that people can heal and that you could have the proper mindset. He sounds like a wonderful, wonderful human being because he, he treated you without taking, taking any money from you. So I love all that about him. But there's still a big but. I mean, this is one of the top doctors in the country. He's yep. one of the top doctors yep. in the world. He suspected Lyme disease. And he was afraid to treat you despite your clinical um, presentation and was more willing to diagnose you with bad luck than he was willing to diagnose (laughs) you with Lyme disease and treat you with a simple antibiotic, which would have saved you from years of pain. And we haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah. I just treated you with a simple antibiotic. So I'm not, I, I'm not attacking him because I know you love him, but the truth is even somebody at the, you know, at the, um, you know, the cutting edge of, of, of medical treatment at the time was afraid to clinically diagnose you, even though, by the way, the CDC indicates that the Lyme disease testing is only an element of the clinical diagnosis. So if we're going to rely on CDC and we're going to rely on his his reviewing of the CDC standards, then we have to hold him to the entire set of CDC standards, which indicates that we're not supposed to use um, the two-tier Lyme disease testing as the vehicle for testing, for, for diagnosing Lyme disease. Yeah, no, you're right, Rich. You're right. You're right. And when he said that, that I got it because of bad luck, I was just like, no, I don't believe that. And that's when I started just doing my own research. And I know that there's a root cause for everything, everything. And I was on Diagmox for seven years. And they couldn't wean me off right away because my optic nerve would go back into swelling. So he wanted to be, I guess, sure. But then again, of course, give her the pills, let her stay on them, you know, whatever. So a couple of things. So when this happened and I ended up being on Diamox, I had an awakening, like a spiritual, spiritual awakening. And the moment, so, you know, in between this time, all this is happening. And when someone tells you your vision, you may lose your vision, things go through your head, you know? And I said to myself, I'm going to live my life the best way I can possibly can. And I'm going to do what makes me happy. 
And I remember so vividly sitting on my mom's couch in Westchester, New York, Nourishville, New York. And I said to myself, I'm going to move away from here. I'm going to, I'm going to do three things. And, and I, I, I knew LA because my sister used to live in, she moved back, but she used to live in LA. And I, I don't know, energetically, I had this connection with LA. So I'm like, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to get a proper diagnosis. I'm going to find out what's going on with me, get to the root cause of my intracranial hypertension. I'm going to start a business that I love. And I'm also going to find my husband. Those were my three goals. Two of them are happening right now. The, the third one is still uh, up for question. So I had this awakening. I started doing my own research. Now, you know, 2014, 2015, still in the Diamox, still in New York, still in Westchester County. 2016, I came out to LA here where I am now in Los Angeles. I went to, went to go visit a friend. I said, you know what? Life is so short. I'm going to move here. I'm going to, I'm going to switch up my whole life. When you have, you know, it's like, God forbid getting diagnosed with cancer. You know, you're like, you have this, you have one life. You better make it worth it. You better do the things you love. So that was my first spiritual awakening. I come to LA end of, no, actually, yeah. End of 2016. I moved to Santa Monica. I was literally broke. I had like $500 to my name and I came out here. I was living with um, one of my friends who was my boyfriend at the time, but he was like an earth angel. He's one of my earth angels. And I refer to earth angel all the time because I feel like people come into your life for a reason. And I started, I'm still in the Diamox, you know, still in the Diamox, still doing my research, really learning about what could possibly be wrong with me. Now, while I moved to LA, I started just going on the internet, doing my own research and noticing there was a trend to intracranial hypertension and Lyme disease. Now, in this time frame, other weird things started happening. Now, you know, I, I always say, and I, I've said this to my dear friend, Michaela, who was on your podcast not too long ago, I always tell her, and we, she agrees, there's so many different avenues from, from the fake diagnosis to the initial diagnosis, to, to researching, to the initial, the real diagnosis and in between. There's so much to learn. And so much to take in. So jumped on the internet, started reading about intracranial hypertension and Lyme disease, noticing these weird things happening with my body. My, my, uh, my uh, menstrual cycle significantly changed. I gained massive weight, 30 pounds. I go, what the hell is happening here? Now, like I said, I was five pounds, you know, I'm five pounds, sorry, five. I'm only five feet. I wish I was five pounds. So five so the 30 pounds, it was significant for me. You know, I'm like, wow, I'm heavy. And you know, so anyway, I'm like, I'll deal with it. If if that's the only problem I have in my life, I'll deal with it. It's fine. So doing my research, started joining 
the wonderful Lyme groups of Facebook. So I join, I'm hearing stories, but I never had the funds to, uh, to, and you know, I think you could all agree. People think, well, I can't get treated because I don't have the funds. I don't have the resources. I don't come from wealth. I'm not this one, that one. But if I can do this, anybody can do it. Anyone. If you, there are ways, there's support, there's everything in between. So, so before, I, before, I, oh, I'm sorry, before you get I, into that, because Daisy's going to take you through the treatment elements of your, of your journey, talk to us about how you finally get diagnosed. I mean, we, yeah. we, we diagnosed by a doctor for bad luck and you are, you know, kind of in the, you're kind of in the depths of the Facebook groups, you know, and that always has its own journey, you know, and, um, and I don't know if they're giving you clues, although it sounds like you're doing a great job of kind of finding your way through piecing together your understanding of, you know, two different types of diagnoses and melding them together by your own kind of you know, deducing, uh, sleuthing. Um, but I'm still really interested in like who diagnosed you with Lyme disease and, and was that an epiphany for you? And, you know, were you relieved? Were you angry? Were you angry because you'd been going all these years on Diamox and how many years did you still not be able to see and, or have eye concerns, issues, you know, symptoms before anybody said, Hey, wait a minute. Like you have neurological Lyme disease. And so that is something I really want to know about. Yeah, no, good, good, good question. So I was on the Diamox living my life normally for seven years. And it wasn't until the last year that I got off. Actually, I got off in 29, I'm sorry, 2020, right before the pandemic hit. So I got off my Diamox and in between all these things happening with my life, me moving to LA, me working to death. I was a celebrity assistant working 13, 14 hours a day. It definitely played a toll. I was literally putting $50 a week to be, to be seen by a Lyme literate doctor because at the time I didn't have the capital. I didn't have the funds. And essentially, 20, you know, a lot of, a lot of things happened in between. I, I went through a horrific breakup in LA uh, to someone that, you know, I thought I was going to marry. Um, so here I am living normal on the Diamox. I, I, I knew I had Lyme. I did my research. I knew there was something. I just, I didn't confirm it. I didn't confirm it because I, I was, I was, uh, I didn't have the resources. I didn't want to spend the money. So 2020 comes all these other weird things, hormonal, I developed Strogans, I, uh, you know, all the things I have neuropathy. I have hormonal issues. I can't have stevia anymore because it was a biofilm disruptor. And I didn't know that. And I was literally going crazy mentally. I felt like my soul got sucked out and everyone's like, oh no, it's because of the breakup. You're fine. You know, all those things. So 2020 comes, I'm like at a pivotal time in my life. I started my visit business kitchen remedy, which is a personal chef service because the only thing that got through, I don't cook any longer. I have now a team of wellness chefs that go out to homes 
for people that have chronic illness, but also everybody now it's, it kind of turned into something I can't even believe. Um, but during this time, all these things are happening. 2020 comes and I finally get up, get fed up with feeling like ill and also mentally not well. Like I felt uber anxiety, uber depression. I just didn't know what was wrong with me. And when I had the stevia, I just didn't even, I couldn't, I, I felt like there was an exorcism like taking over me. I didn't feel safe. I would cry for no reason. Like I was there knowing that I was crying, but I didn't know why I was crying. Like all the things I finally said. And, but there was a point right before I, I, I did go to my line literate doctor here in LA, Dr. Erica Lehman in Beverly Hills. Before that, of course, little old me, I'm trying to pivot and try to like, no, I, I have to, let me just go work with the insurance. Let me go see my, my PCP. And I, I, I went to my PCP here. He know he knew all about the intracranial hypertension. I, I had to do visits with another doctor here in LA because I wasn't in New York anymore. There was a point right before I went to Lyme Literate, I said, you know what? I'll, I'll go through my insurance. Let me go to UCLA. Let them test me again. Because like, you want to believe the guys in the white coats, you want to believe like, Hey, you know, they are, they're telling you the truth, you know, not, not talking doctors. I respect them, but. I've been on pins and needles because I work a lot with that particular doctor thinking, you know, I know her history, um, as you know, with, with, so tell me about your diagnosis. How did you get diagnosed with Lyme disease? So I got diagnosed with Lyme in 2020. I finally got fed up. I made a, made a comment in the group, in the Lyme group. Um, it was one of these groups that were just a general Lyme group. Someone directed me to this other Lyme group, uh, more kind of, uh, it's more influencery and there's a lot of, I don't know, it's made by this influencer and whatnot. I made a comment. I said, this is what's going on with my body. I think I have Lyme. Can anyone, can anyone relate? And also, do you have any doctors? So my other earth angel, Michaela, who <laughs> comes to my rescue and she leaves a comment and she goes, yeah, you sound limey. She goes, message me. So we talked, we hit it off. She goes, go see Dr. Lehman, go get diagnosed. You probably have it. She goes, and we immediately, immediately hit it off because she's an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, we're both from the East coast. We're, we're two struggling entrepreneurs trying to build brands and trying to heal and it's madness. So no one gets me better than Michaela. Um, so she goes, go to Dr. Lehman, go to Dr. Lehman, which ironically, Dr. Lehman was an eye doctor before she turned Lyme literate. So I was like, oh, wow, this is great. So I go to Dr. Lehman, go into her office. Now, mind you, I've been saving money to go see this woman. You know, she sits me down. She goes, I don't even need to run tests, but I'm going to, she said, you have Lyme, you have mold, I guarantee it. 
Now, before I went to her office, my sister, my sister is a health coach and she, we were putting the puzzle pieces together and it was re before I went there, she thought I had mold as well, my sister, but that was more recent. Like we always suspected Lyme. It was just never confirmed. So I got, I went into Dr. Lehman's office. She tells me, runs the test. Yep. You have late stage neurological Lyme. No wonder why you have the intracranial hypertension. You have mold toxicity. One of the worst levels I've seen, I quote, and we need to get you on treatment. So if I might ask what, you know, where, what date is this about that you're um, in this, you know, first encounter or this encounter where these epiphanies are coming to the surface? Is this in 2020, 2021? Yeah. So it was 2020 that I went to go see her. It was actually, actually, I'm sorry. It wasn't 2020 because the pandemic hit. So it was 2021, April, 2021, I was diagnosed. So like a year and a half ago or some change or almost two years ago, and I was diagnosed and that's when it, what it, when it happened, that's when I was diagnosed. And, uh, it was, it was confirmation. It was such a relief that I wasn't going crazy that you know, I almost went blind because of Lyme, not bad luck. And now I knew all the weird things that were happening to me. And it changed my life. It changed. Lyme was definitely a blessing in disguise. It changed my entire life. There's massive blessings associated to my Lyme disease and my journey and my business. And yeah. just looking back, it's like all the things are connected. It's mind boggling. So I want, I want to hear all about that too. But I, what I want to do is just kind of back up and slow down a little bit. Because one of the things that I know from what you're saying, and also just, you know, from being um, with people who have these complex, complex pictures, is that it's never, you know, you're already giving us an idea of the different Rubik's Cube of of what was brought to the surface for you now, certainly Lyme, but you know, Lyme is, you know, when we say Lyme disease, there's always co-infections, you know, often there's Borrelia, Babesia, Bartonella, there are more, um, certainly in an Igenex, there can be more, um, and then mold and there's different types of mold and then there's different types of viruses and parasites. And so I'm interested in the soup that you were, you know, uncovering at this moment. And, and what was kind of the, the soup that you got given, because I happen to know Dr. Lehman quite well, and I'm sure she was very thorough. So I'm interested. I mean, certainly you're, you, everybody's so unique, but you're unique in the fact that you went for many, many, many years in kind of one mindset. And then you went, you know, to somebody who has a very, very, very um, large understanding of of ophthalmology and infection. So that was kind of amazing because given your situation, but so I'm interested in, you know, all of the things that were uncovered in that, in that diagnose, diagnostic process. Yeah. So we discovered, I have Bardinella, Babesia, I have black mold. Uh, and, you know, now looking back, I realize that my home, my childhood home has black mold and it, 
you know, when she told me all of this, honestly, I, 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 I intuitively knew, but now it was on paper, black and white. And also I'm like, okay, I was crying at first. I was like, you know, I was like, it, it was really overwhelming. And she goes, don't worry. You know, you now have a plan of action. You know, you have a plan of action, but you know, she has been very slow and sensitive with me. I'm on an herbal supplement, supplements, you know, I'm on Cellcor. I am going super slow because I think the concern of my vision and the intracranial hypertension and, and how it hit me so severely. Um, yes. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds to me like you, correct me if I'm wrong, like you went, you went, you went, and then you kind of hit like the Dr. Jackpot. You got, you know, the doctor that had all the answers. Um, so I'm interested in like, what was, how did you begin? What was the first, what were the first steps that you took in terms of treatment? You know, what was the first month like, you know, April, then May, and, and how did that, how did that look for you? Yeah, you know, I was really sad and frustrated that pretty was treating something for seven years that wasn't the root cause and that diamox definitely did a number on me you know with my body so I was upset about that but then I was like you know who knows you know I was on it for I mean maybe I could have got weaned off sooner I don't know but every time he tried my vision would kind of get worse and so it was really slow and steady but then when I went into Dr. Lehman and she confirmed everything, she immediately put me on supplements like Byron White. I'm on their supplements, um, probiotics, prebiotics, all the vitamins. When I first started my protocol, I was a little nervous just because I'm like an alien, super sensitive. You know, I wish I wasn't, but this is who I am. So I was herxing a lot. I was herxing a lot. And, you know, I can take all the pain. I don't care. Give me the pain. It's the mental side of things that freaks me the hell out. So when I start to feel like not me, uh, you know, just not me, you know, that makes me worried. That makes me scared. So. She's been super helpful with my journey. I work with Dr. Lehman. I do work with a mole doctor. I work with my sister. I'm blessed that she's a holistic health coach and knows a lot about Lyme and mold. So in regards to my healing process, I'm not where I want to be, but I need to go slow. And at this point, I'm like, listen, I'm going slow. I'm doing all my things. I have my red light therapy, my detox baths. I have acupuncture twice a week. I'm doing the sauna. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing all dry brushing. I'm doing all the things. But for me, I have to go slow and that's okay. As long as I'm moving the needle a little bit at a time. And I'm sorry. So, so we, so it sounds like you're saying that there was, you know, at times there were, you know, some beginnings, some steps forward, and then 
potentially hoaxes came along. Did you have difficulty understanding the difference between a hoax and or a regression? And how did you handle that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm so lucky for the support I have. And, you know, I started alone just for anyone that what anyone that's out there that thinks like, well, I don't have support. I didn't have anyone. I was in this road all alone in the, you know, dark and gray. I found my support. I found my support and I still have that support, you know, and luckily, uh, you know, like I said, my sister, my sister is a health coach. I didn't know at the time I was herxing. I thought that, oh my God, all my symptoms are coming back. Like what's happening? But, you know, I didn't know at the time that, no, your body's doing what it's supposed to do. It's killing all the bugs. It's killing all the things. You know, and then when there were surprises in my stool, I wasn't so surprised because I was a little informed. But yeah, and you know, a big thing for me, and you know, uh, it, it it is faith and food. I go to the kitchen for 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 that. The kitchen's my remedy, hence my business, Kitchen Remedy. And if it wasn't for you know cooking and using it as a therapy and my faith. I really don't know where I would be. So I, you know, know that a lot of Lyme patients, you know, will begin. It sounds you've been doing this now for a year and a half. Let's just call it a year and a half. And, you know, often it's you start a protocol for three months and then you get some wins. Maybe you get some regressions or maybe, you know, I like to say the worst thing that can happen is nothing. The best thing that can happen is you feel completely better. But the second best thing is that you feel way worse. Um, And so I want to know about like, what was the first pass, you know, through for your, you know, protocols, and then the reevaluation, how did you dip back in? You know, were there other um, practitioners or other avenues that you had to explore. I'm really interested in all that. Yeah, yeah, no, good question. So, you know, I think it's been slow and steady. I haven't seen anyone else. I've been working in hand, hands and hands with Dr. Lehman and my sister. Uh, you know, I think everything is trial and error. You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, every body, body is different. I think in my case, which, you know, I actually consulted with Dr. Lehman a couple of days ago to just, I follow up every couple months and she goes, you know, I'm not going to give you any prescriptions just yet. Um, she goes, but one for your thyroid, because we found out now I have Hashimoto's and all the things. My levels are really low, which is probably also, you know, the reason why I gained some weight. But, you know, like my friend, Michaela, she is on, you know, all the prescriptions, but I think everybody is different and it's trial and error. And I think with me in my case, I think that there has been progress. Of course, there's been setbacks, but I think it's been slow and steady. And thank God I didn't have, you know, I'm I'm grateful. I didn't really have to reach out to any, anyone else. And it's just been Dr. Lehman, my sister, back and forth like that. So I think I'm on a solid, steady groove. And I've learned a lot during this process. 
with, you know, tips and tricks to how to navigate this world, uh, which is, um, you know, something that I'd love, love to share. And, you know, I mean, I, I almost lost my vision. I almost went blind. It's some serious stuff. And my passion and purpose in this life is to help others. And if I could help someone avoid all the craziness that happened to me, I am here for that. Um, so I'm really also interested in if there's any one thing that you did, anything for you, because, you know, there was a time where people were like, what's the one thing that gets people better? And I was like, (laughs) it's so many one things for so many multiple people. And then it's one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. Um, but anyway, my question to you is what are some of the things that have helped you that have moved the needle forward for you, you know, that gave you oxygen, not literally, but in terms of like, okay, I'm, I'm in a better place right now. This is taking me somewhere new. That's helping me. Yeah. Um, So one thing, uh, you know, I think there's a couple of little things, if that makes sense. Um, I would say, you know, you know, uh, the most important thing, change your diet, you know, make sure you're eating anti-inflammatory foods. You know, not everybody could go plant-based, but if you can go plant-based for a while, great. Your diet is everything. You know, I, I tell everyone, like if you can, buy organic, everyone buy organic. And if you can't, you know, oh, the price is this and that, baloney. Go buy like rice and or beans. You'll be fine. Live on that, you know, instead of just the standard American diet, your diet, you know, binders, that's key. Take your binders, detox, 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 go sweat, take a detox bath. That's, you know, it's small, small potatoes, buy some, whatever you need for your detox bath. Um, yeah, you know, those, not just one thing, but those little things that could move the needle, so to speak. Got it. Um, so food was something that moved the needle for you. Um, binders, which seems to be addressing some of the mold. Um, Byron White, which seems to be helping with some of the chronic infections, um, possibly BART, possibly Babesia. Um, and definitely diet. Um, so what's your I, next? Oh, sorry. No, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think the next thing, which is probably the most important thing is a spiritual practice of some kind. I think that if I, if I didn't tame my mind, I really, really just don't know where I would be. I was in a really dark place, you know, you know, it's crazy. And I failed to mention, they also gave me a spinal tap prior before the diagnosis. And I think my spiritual practice meditation, trying to retrain your brain, you know, the Gupta program, uh, just meditation and just positivity is key. You know, like, you know, even though that doc, you know, even my doc, even though the doctor at New York Presbyterian couldn't give me the answer that I probably already knew, I did take that little piece of advice, you will prevail. And I, I just immersed myself in it. 
So positivity and prayer and meditation and a spiritual practice will take you a long way. Because if your mind's not right, you're not going to heal. So, you know, I think um, there's always a little bit of a silver lining for many of us on this journey. Um, if, if there is a way that you could articulate that for yourself, what, what would it be like? How could you communicate the silver lining that is there for you? Yeah. So I think that Lyme changed my life. It was a nightmare at first. I mean, I didn't even know I had it until, you know, a year and a half ago. However, the, the, the hard, hardships that happened along the way within this seven year to eight year journey drastically changed my life. There was blessings in between. I now know my life purpose, my passion, and all the connections I've made. I've teamed up with Michaela. We're both coming out with an e-course. It launches in January. It's going to be called Chronically Hack. And I we basically teamed up because there was a lot of people coming to us a little bit overwhelming saying, Hey, your story's crazy. How did this happen? You know, I'm experiencing the same thing. And since I'm one, I I think I'm a natural healer. Honestly, I'm here to help. I want to serve. If I can help someone, you're not experiencing what I went through. Uh, so it dawned on me and Michaela were like, Hey, like, you know, we're trying to build brands, but also we want to help. Why don't we give them the tips and tricks and tools to navigate this crazy world? So that's how chronically hacked was born. Um, and you know, and it's just like everything in between my, my, uh, my, my main brand kitchen remedy is a wellness personal chef service in LA and New York, which is doing really well. And Michaela, her, my July skincare line, um, you know, it's not what you put into your body, but what you put onto your body. Um, so we want to give people the tips and tricks with that as well. And the tools to navigate and we like to say chronically hacked is finesse the mess, if you will. So we're trying to give the tools and the tricks to navigate this crazy, confusing, lonely, lonely place. That's amazing. So it sounds like you've really found a place to be of service and of contribution. Um, this is an interesting question. Um, it's kind of a two-part question. Um, what is it about yourself that you didn't love that you love better? Mm -hmm. And what is it about yourself that you loved that you love less? Oh, that's hard. Okay. Let's, let's, let's start with the first one. Um, I think that, you know, I was also a little bit younger, but I think that this whole journey and trials and tribulation, I think that really humbled me out. I think that I'm different in a great way. I say to my friends that my ego died. I don't have an ego anymore. It's dead, done. Of course, you know, it's healthy to have a little ego in a positive way, not a narcissistic way. However, you know, and that's a story for another day, but my, I don't, I don't have an ego. I was different. 
before this journey. My, I was always spiritual, but I'm on a different level now. It's different. It's different. It enlightened me. It really made me realize what's really important in life. Yeah. So. And that was a really awesome, awesome answer to a really awesome question. So I'm going to bring us to the last question of the podcast, which is, um, can you give us a list of the low and no cost treatment options that you would recommend somebody who would be new to the Lyme disease journey? Sure, sure. So, you know, if I can do this, anyone out there uh, on a budget, anybody can, you know, don't think that you need to be rolling in it to heal your body. Number one, it's eating healthy. Try to eat organic, anti-inflammatory foods. Detox baths are the way to go. Sweat, 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 bind, bind, bind. Go on vitamins and start a piggy bank. Start a line literate piggy bank, $20 a week. You know, instead of going to get your nails done, put it into your piggy bank to be seen by someone because your health is your wealth and and everything. All right, well, I can't. Can I do an addendum to your last question? You absolutely can. Sure. So on the same, in the same, you know, vein of, of advice to those that, you know, are either newly diagnosed or those that haven't yet been diagnosed, what are some of the ways that you could help people understand that vector born exists and how you could help protect them? Not just tick born, but vector born. Yeah, I would say just be aware, you know, awareness is key. Be aware of what you're doing, what you're around, you know, it's not just ticks that cause these diseases. Um, You know, don't be neurotic, but be just conscious, conscious, have a conscious life. Well, Diana, I can't thank you enough for spending so much time with me and Daisy and, and folks, if you want to learn more about Daisy White, who we uh, at Tick Bootcamp called the uh, coach to the stars, uh, she, she was profiled in episode 80 of our podcast. It was an awesome podcast. Uh, so bringing these two brilliant women together, I know you've all enjoyed that and you can learn more about uh, each one of them. We will also in a closing row give you more details about how you can get in touch with uh, Diana. So again, Diana and Daisy, thank you so much for spending so much time with us here on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Diana Brescia. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Diana, please check her out on Instagram at Diana Brescia and at Kitchen Remedy, or visit her website at thekitchenremedy.com. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcasts. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. 
And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 300 episodes, subscribe to our email list or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. And thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening.